as a Christian, what God is doing with his people is he is making them like his son. But the way to do that is through pushing and prodding and challenging them. Hello, everyone. I'm Pastor Brandon, and this is B-Sides, What Won't Fit in a Sermon. Coming up today, I have a discussion with my friend Dane Bundy on character. We did this during our lunch break, and I often have students sitting in my office where we record during lunch, so yeah, you're probably going to hear them as they listen in on this discussion. So if you hear any noise, you can totally disregard that background sound. So, character, on Sunday, we went mountain climbing with Jesus. As Matthew took us up three significant mountains, the mountain Jesus climbs to give his famous Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7, as Jesus also takes Peter, James, and John up the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, And finally, at the end of the gospel, where he meets with his disciples on an unnamed mountain in Galilee, where he there commissions them to go into all the world and make disciples, and then ascends to the Father. And so we realized on Sunday that these mountains are the message of Jesus as we attempt to follow him. He's leading us higher up. The first mountain, his sermon, taught us character and that climbing a mountain is like building character. We grow stronger as we do so. And as we grow in character, we eventually reach the summit where we change, and we see that as Jesus is transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. We are changed to be like him. And then we come down the mountain, as the third mountain signifies, to take this growth and this change and this character into the world as is our calling, so that we become like the city set on a hill, and that the world praises God because of our good works. After Jesus climbs the first two mountains, we saw him descend the first two, and there he heals somebody each time. It's on the third mountain in which he doesn't descend, because we are the ones who are descending into the world It's our turn to go heal and bring change. So I was reminded of this verse, and I think its themes will come up in my discussion with Dane. Romans 5, verse 3. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So yes, mountain climbing takes endurance. It sometimes involves suffering, but we rejoice because of the hope that lies at its top. 
we realize that as we climb, we are growing character. So, let's now go to this discussion with Dane. So I'm discussing character with Dane Bundy. Dane teaches AP literature and theater here at Lake Arrowhead Christian School. They are right now working on a play, Alice in Wonderland, coming soon this spring, so look for that. Each play they put on, I have been thoroughly impressed with. It is definitely something worth going out to see. He is also on staff at Lifehouse Theater in Redlands. Yes, that Christian theater which many of us have been to and enjoyed a play or two at. And he is also the president of Stage and Story, cultivating the Christian imagination through the performing arts. You can visit stageandstory.org for more. And if I may insert a little plug here for my friend Dane, they threw their first conference some months ago for Stage and Story, and it was fantastic. I hope they do an, a new one soon, and I will be sure to let the church know when that happens so that you can enjoy the conference as well. So I see character in, in story, or the formation of character in story, as being an integral process of storytelling. One of the best ways I've heard it explained is that the storyteller's task to capture and keep his or her audience is to take the hero or the protagonist and drive them up a tree, make their life miserable, throw rocks at them so that then they change, they come to this new realization about something, and then there's this closing off this conclusion. But without the driving them up into the tree and throwing rocks at them, we will miss that part of storytelling where the audience says, aha, I understand this character because I too am being driven up the tree. And, and I see, I see this probably most clearly in stories that we would call coming of age stories. And we all know what it's like, if we're past that age, we all know what it's like to be a child and to go through that period in which we move from childhood now to adulthood. And often it's a very painful process. And I think what's taking place there in theological terms and narrative terms is that this person is meeting the harsh reality of the fall, right? So if we look at the storyline of, of human history, God's redemptive drama, it's where uh, an image bearer first realizes, yikes, the world that I live in is no longer Eden. It's post Eden. I live in a difficult, frightening, fallen world. So in a way, the, the leaving of Eden into the fallen world parallels the way we grow up and have to face adulthood and realize, wow, life isn't just my parents taking care of me yes. anymore. Right. Absolutely. Now, if I may ask you in a personal way, 
Yeah. Uh, you, you talked about the driving the character up the tree, throwing rocks at him. And I, and I hear in that, that crisis and pressure will really draw out or even shape and form character. Uh, where, when did you go through, what was your being driven up a tree moment in your life? Sure. I might, my dr- being driven up the tree, my maybe coming of age, part of my, my narrative. I would point back to graduated from college and moved to Kentucky to go to seminary. And it wasn't actually the schooling, the seminary that broke me down or got me up into the tree. It was actually my first teaching job. And what I realized very quickly was that I really knew nothing about teaching. And I was very prideful. And so the process of my first teaching job, God used that to really break me down. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that was one of the very first times where I was thinking to myself, boy, this world that we live in, um, I can't, I can't manage my way through it just by myself. And, um, I need to be continually growing in character. So it, it broke you down in a sense that I don't have enough. Mm-hmm. I thought I was enough, but I am not. Yes. Uh, w- what character did that where where did you see character starting to bloom in that setting? I think that the elimination of this pride was probably the first step, and this recognition that I don't have it all together, and then my reaching out to other people as um as I saw the body of Christ or these mentors having to reach out to them was kind of the next step in which I started thinking if I'm going to make it in this world this fallen world I need other people who are giants who have already gone before me to help me to help me across this this wasteland sometimes it felt like yeah okay so the forming of character is what happens when we allow people who've gone ahead of us to come and teach us. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, when we listen to those people, character can be formed. Right. Which seems like an appropriate place to put Jesus. Oh, absolutely. And the way he teaches us in the Gospels and the Mm -hmm. Sermon on the Mount. It's like, hey, I'm going to take you on this journey with me. Right. And And I would say redemptive history and all the great men and women who have gone before us and Mm. struggled. And we think of Moses, who it wasn't until pretty late in his life that God finally (laughs) brought him to his main calling and drove him up a tree and started having rocks thrown at him, too. You are, what would you call yourself, a playwright? Sure. A storyteller. You are into you're a storyteller, often in the form of theater. Yes, and you've worked on you're working right now on Alice in Wonderland, right? For Lake Road Christian School. Yes, and uh, you were telling me that you see, well, you have a bent on that about character. Can you tell that to me? Yes. Well, one of the reasons why I love Alice in Wonderland, a couple reasons. The first reason is because no one really knows what it's about, but I, <laughs> but I think I do know what it's about. <laughs> Alice in Wonderland, according to Dane. Oh, according to Dane, that's oh, right. That's 
I think that Alice in Wonderland is just simply, it's a coming of age story for this young girl named Alice. And the symbolic entrance of her into Wonderland is this symbolic entrance of a young woman going into adulthood, realizing probably for the very first time that the fallen world we live in is mad. (laughs) And oftentimes the adults around us don't make sense to the young person. And it's a painful, confusing process. Becoming an adult is um, madness sometimes and scary. And so that's why I love Alice in Wonderland, because it's something that's so universal that all of us, hopefully, will go through coming of age. We don't want to have this perpetual adolescence. I think that is, that's for another conversation, but that's something (laughs) that we definitely don't want. We want to reach adulthood. And that but that's through. that's really interesting because I think most people look at Alice in Wonderland and think, I don't know what to make of this. It almost oh, seems like sure. some hippie psychedelic drug sure. trip. And all of a sudden you're saying, no, this isn't someone's influence, someone under the influence. It's this is how it feels to grow up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're looking at the world through the lens of, well, in our production, a nine-year-old. And so often it looks crazy. <laughs> it looks mad. Yeah. And and so she is is trying to reach, you know, a certain end, and it's um, it's difficult and confusing, and sometimes funny from the outside because we go, yes, we've been there, we've been there too. Yeah. So Alice is a character. We're talking about character. Do you see any correlation between? building one's personal character and the fact that we call people in stories characters? Uh, yes, I, I would say maybe if we can try and shoot for, for this connection is that a character in a story that has not faced overwhelming difficulties is not a character that will grasp a reader, or a viewer. It's just the way it is. And I think that that is a parallel to a human being and their journey in life. Um, I watched a movie yesterday, last night, called About a Boy. And it's with Hugh Grant. And here's this 40-year-old who doesn't have a job, lives off this jingle that his father wrote and um he's trying to find a you know a woman to you know to be with but what all these women keep finding out that he himself has not come of age he is still a child because he hasn't encountered anything difficult he's never had a job everything's been handed to him and so that type of person is not something is not someone who will grasp or have really any influence on anyone else around them. Because they haven't been challenged. They haven't been formed. Character hasn't been formed in them. And so I would say as as a Christian, what God is doing with his people is he is making them like his son. Hmm. But the way to do that is through pushing and prodding and challenging them. 
Yeah, character does not just come. No. It's formed. Exactly. So we might say that if you take a block of wood, and my goal is to turn this into a sculpture, I don't know, let's say um, I want to chisel out a sculpture of Plato's head, right? (laughs) Um, It's not going to get there just by cuddling it and wishing it to take place it requires a metal chisel and force from a hammer and some loss and some loss lots of loss right when you're all finished you're going to say there's the head and there's all the the leftovers that have been chipped off there on the ground on a side note in relation to that we lose things in life god god kind of has to take off the rough edges of our life like you're describing what do you think happens to those shavings I think that some, okay, let's say sometimes those shavings were maybe dreams or possessions. And so maybe, you know, as we, as we go through, we go through life and we, we're holding on to this dream that we have. Maybe it's a dream that will get us certain, a certain status or, um, a, a certain economic livelihood. And when God chips at those, Right. I think as we mature, sometimes we realize ah, we never needed those things. Uh, or, I mean, this has happened to me many times where I thought that I wanted to be X. I wanted to be this person. And God said, no, I'm going to remove that dream. And it's often a painful process. And then now, as I look back a little bit more mature, a little bit more like Christ, I may look back and say, you know what? That was actually really a selfish dream Hmm. that really wouldn't have made me happy and wouldn't have served anyone else. But it got you going so that you could get to where you need to go. Sure. It was not a waste. Right. So God still used that. You know, there's a really interesting scene in C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. I was thinking of, I think, probably the same <laughs> scene. The same I think so. Go so for it. So there's this guy who has this red lizard on yep. his shoulder, and he's clearly an oppressive presence to him. Um, it seems that Lewis is implying lust or some sort of thing that... He doesn't really want to get rid of it. And the angel keeps trying to offer, I'll kill it for you. Right. And finally he gives in. The angel right. kills it. And uh, this this guy turns uh, into something substantial, right? From a ghost to um, one of the heaven people. Mm-hmm. Which seems to me, the substance there seems to be a form of character. Absolutely. The character gives us substance. Absolutely. But, but then what I thought was cool, so he's gaining character in that he loses something. Something's chiseled off, like the Play-Doh head. Right. Um, but then our narrator looks at that red lizard on the ground and begins to realize something's happening to it too. Mm. And it transforms into a horse mm. on which this man can then ride up into the mountains where the deep heaven is, as Lewis says in the book. Mm. Uh, is that, is that what that is exactly what I was thinking of? And I was thinking of that image too, of that lizard. And the only way to remove the lizard was to essentially be, burn it off. That's right. It was painful. It was painful. And the lizard was trying to negotiate with the man. No, there's some sort of compromise. I'll let it gradually fade away. Yeah, I'll let it gradually. And the angel's saying, nope. And what's interesting is the removal of that lizard, the transformation to the horse, enhances this person's enjoyment of heaven. Which is helpful for us as we encounter trials God's not stupid. He's preparing us for greater joy. 
and sometimes we think, okay, well, does it really matter if we have more character when we get to heaven? Like, we really, will we be miserable? No, I don't think we'll be miserable, but I've heard it explained that it's like the difference between um, a, a young child um, being content with playing with boxes, <laughs> right, forever, as opposed to, well, I don't know, maybe... Well, Lewis, I think uh, oh, it's in he? The Way to Glory. I oh, bet yes. you're thinking of this, because I know we've talked about this one. Uh, it's like a child playing with a tin can yes. when he doesn't know the meaning of a holiday at sea. Excellent. That's Something exactly like it. that. So, so in a sense, there's, there's such a great joy out there, but we are not, we're not real enough or substantial enough. Our character isn't high enough to actually appreciate that joy. We can't get to that joy. Until we're enlarged. Until we're enlarged. Or in that sense of, like a child is enlarged when they come to realize. Hopefully the child, as he gets older, realizes, okay, there's better things than these tin cans. <laughs> Although, you know, as a two-year-old, they're fun. But as an adult, you hope that they realize uh, there's something much greater. Yeah, and so we know we're not saved by works. Right. It's not like, oh, a certain kind of character gets you to heaven. Mm. But it sounds almost like you're saying character matters because it enables us to enjoy the deeper realities of God. I think so. And his good gifts to us, creation, people around us, our family, our friends. I think that the more mature God makes you, the more you're able to enjoy his gifts as well, in addition to himself. Whose character do you admire the most? Jesus. That's the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, and even the students in here like that one. <laughs> yeah. I think very highly of Charles Spurgeon and his hmm. character. And, and he's God, known for preaching. I've never he's known for preaching, yeah. Someone call him on character. Yeah. Well, God pounded him pretty quickly, right? Because he shot up to fame at like 19 and I've told this story in chapel before and it just kind of haunts me it's like if God calls you he's going to form you he's going to test you mm -hmm. so that you're ready to fulfill this plan that he has for you and so he had this grand calling to his life which he fulfilled to preach God's word burned on his heart and he could only do that. There's nothing else he could have done. And the story is told of when he's in his, um, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. I believe it fit like 10,000 people. And this was the first day that it opened. And Spurgeon had his fans, but he also had his hecklers, those who thought that, well, they just didn't like him. The proverbial thorn in your side. There you go. It's that stone that, you know, yeah. you're up in the trees being thrown at you. And um, right when he's about to begin his message, someone yells, fire. And it causes a panic. 10,000 people start panicking and it just keeps escalating, escalating. The balcony falls, kills seven people. And he at first is trying to say, whoa, 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 there's no fire. There's no fire. But... The the chaos has already begun, and he remembers walking outside of the church and looking at the dead people lying 
on the grass thinking, this is because of me. And he tells the story in his book lectures to my students that he laid prostrate on his face for days Mm -hmm. thinking, I'm done. I may have misunderstood my calling. But it wasn't the end. And it was one necessary step in formation for Spurgeon to have the character to continue to persevere. Because when you have a calling like that, which I think we all do, there will be obstacles, there will be challenges that um, we need perseverance to push through. And that example, uh, that one instance was one of those um, steps that helped him them overcome future future obstacles. Great. Thanks so much, Dane, for taking well, the time to share. pleasure, Pastor B. Thank you. So you may have noticed that we referenced a book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. It is a fantastic book. I have read it at least three times. It might have been four. I'm not really sure. It's not a hard book to read. It only takes, according to Audible, three hours and 22 minutes to listen to it. So you can imagine what that would take for you to read And basically the book is somewhat like a parable on character. What would happen if hell could visit heaven? That's what this book explores. Obviously a fiction, yet there is so much truth to the story in this book. And as the people from hell visit heaven, you follow some of the characters and the conversations that they have with those spirits in heaven, the Christians. And you, in the conversations, learn a lot about character and how it is formed and the way life's experiences are meant to shape us. And that if we refuse their shaping, we may be indeed refusing God himself. Nonetheless, a very interesting book. I do encourage you to read it. And if you do, it would be great to hear your thoughts. Uh, one, one hesitation, uh, is that Lewis does talk about purgatory. Now, it is not clear if he believes in purgatory. He simply mentions it, possibly because some of the people in his crowd did believe in it. Uh, nonetheless, it's still a great book. Knives can cut your fingers, but you still use knives. I wouldn't throw this book out just because it uses that word. So, uh, anyways, if you do happen to explore it and read it, go ahead and dialogue. Send me an email. Send me your thoughts. Brandon McCulloch at CalvaryChapel.com. I'll put it in the notes so that you can see that. All right, everyone. Have a great week. How are you guys? Sorry, guys. But, uh... You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a fighting class next to me here?